0: If you would open up your Bibles with me, we are going to continue our study in the book of 1 Peter. Today we're gonna be primarily in chapter three, verses one through seven. And as you turn there, let me remind you just a little bit of what we've been looking at over the last couple weeks. We've been looking at how to live for God in this world and a culture that we live in. You know, we've identified that there is a healthy amount of tension, right? in the world that we live in, trying to live as Christians in a non-Christian, or I would go as far to say an anti-Christian society. And those tensions are exactly why we're looking at the book of 1 Peter. See, the readers of Peter's epistle, right, the ones he titles the elect resident aliens were scattered throughout the region, and it's the area that we now call modern-day Turkey, right? Pontus, Galatia, all of those, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, uh, Asia Minor. But we, we know today that it's Turkey. And Peter writes to them in the midst of their oppression. They were being marginalized. They were being persecuted to the point of torture and murder. And he writes them, reminding them of some of the key truths that they could hold on to. That would help carry them through the tension. So in chapter one, Peter wrote, here's what Jesus did for you, reminding them of the truth of the cross and of the resurrection that we are born again to a living hope through the the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that's imperishable and undefiled and unfading, an inheritance that Jesus is keeping for us in heaven, right? that he's guarding and protecting with his power that no one can touch. And then in chapter two, Peter tells us that Not just who we are, but we talked about a couple weeks ago whose we are, right? That we are worthy, that we are living stones because someone was willing to pay for us. That was Jesus' death on the cross. And we're worthy because of who now owns us. That's God. So Peter helped them and is helping them and us to understand how all of us, as a a royal priesthood, the, the priesthood of the believers, right, Being Christians, which was originally called little Christ, just like our high holy priest, we're supposed to be helping to build bridges between sinful man and holy God. So everyone good? You caught up? Do we need to go back to week one? No? Okay, so here we go. We're going to read our scripture for today. It is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I'm sorry, it's just the next passage. I did not plan this. Forgive me. It says this, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be hidden, be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are his, her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you for this time and this place that we get to come and be your people. God, thank you for your word that informs us and shows us how to live in relationship with each other and with you. We love you, God. Thank you for this time, Lord. As we study your word, please help me to get out of the way. May what we hear and study today make us look more like you in all we say, in all we think, and in all we do. We love you, Jesus. In your name that we pray. Amen. So it's that easy, right? The main point of our message this morning is The one action needed for great relationships is submission. Okay, my work here's done. See you guys later, have a good day. Go Niners, just kidding, right? The reality is this, church, in our 21st century culture, in our cultural mindset, the word submission does not have a positive outlook, does it? Anybody agree to that? None of us got up this morning being like, yeah, submission! that's what I get out of bed in the morning for. I'm team submission all the way. No. So here's what I did. In order to help us understand this, I looked up our 21st century definitions of submission, and then we're gonna compare it to what Peter's actually talking about. Our 21st century definitions of submission that you can find on Google today are this, to back down, to bend over to another person's will, to comply, to cower, to cringe, or to live a dog's life. So in order to talk about this from a biblical mindset, we're going to have to wrap our heads around the fact that that's not what Peter's talking about, okay? I got a little story for this. I was gonna tell this even with my parents in the room, but they're not here today. So I'm still gonna tell it, but they'll hear it later. I remember as a kid listening to my parents talking about their wedding, right? And back in the day during traditional weddings, it wasn't all loosey-goosey like now where the man and the woman will search the depths of their hearts and emotion to write their own vows, right? No, they would read or repeat a very specific set of vows from um, the common book of prayer. And they went kind of like this. The groom would say, I, Dan, take thee, Elizabeth, that's my wife, so you guys know she's not in the room, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part according to God's holy ordinance, and thereto I plight thee my troth. And the bride would say, I blank take thee blank to be my wedded husband. All the same things, but then there was another line in there that says, to sickness or in health, to love, to cherish, and to obey, till death do us part, according to God's holy ordinance, and thereto I plight thee my troth. And so, Here's what I did know about my parents. They both agreed that they hadn't plighted each other's troughs. They weren't so much in the old school lingo, but they did have a disagreement in this. My dad was 100% sure that my mom, in her earnest attempt to submit to her new husband, on that day said, and to obey. But my mom adamantly denied doing so and therefore had the case that technically she didn't have to. Now, of course, this was mostly comedic in my family, but both sides were fixed on their recollection of how the day went. Well, turns out about when I was sometime between 10 and 11, a cassette tape, students, those are like before MP3s, before CDs, cassette tapes, you had to wind them up and rewind a cassette tape of their wedding ceremony audio surfaced, okay? And all of a sudden, we're gathered around the stereo at my parents' flower shop listening, and it's, there's a commercial series right now that's like, let's check the replay. It was our own let's check the replay moment. And it turns out, we're listening, 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 and my mom did not say it. But then I remember this she turned to my dad and said, but I still do. This is submission. Biblical submission is this, and it's the next fill in the blank outline. Submission is having the courage to give up my rights in order to meet another's needs. So to help our minds remember the definition of submission that we're gonna be working with this morning, rather than our cultural definition, we're going to be talking about it in terms of being selfish versus being unselfish. You guys with me on that? There's three basic ways for us to live in life, you'll see this in your outline, right? You can live my way, right? And I don't mean Pastor Dan's way, but I mean rather your way. You are all an expert at living your own way, right? In fact, I'll go out on a limb to say that living my way, you only care about what you care about. You only wanna talk about what you wanna talk about. The things that are important to you are the things you spend your time on. And at the end of the day, the fleshly side of us is the my way. It isn't really interested in what you have to say because you're concerned about things that I'm not concerned about. Right? Don't start elbowing your neighbor or your spouse and being like, that's, that's you. No, this is about me. This is about us. In our flesh, this is where we tend to be. The second thing, the second way you can live life is the other's way. And this is where you'll hear someone say, man, I I had to do it. You know, in order to make them happy, I had to. And you feel stuck and obligated and subjected when you live this way. Now, many people will confuse this way of living with biblical submission, because they're they're really doing good. But instead, this way focuses on others, where biblical submission focuses on our relationship with God. It's about being obedient to what God has called us to, which leads us to the third way to live in your outline, which is God's way, the unselfish or submissive way. That's where when we're living for for God in this economy, right? We've been talking about the economy of God versus the economy of the world, where we're living alongside the world, but reflecting God into it, not accepting of what the world is telling us to do, not going along with the patterns of this world, but being set aside for him. So Peter's laying out for us in our passage this morning the why and the how of being unselfish. So Here we go, why should we be unselfish, church? Anybody know? There's a lot of reasons, but here's the truth. You might live a very selfish life for a season and get away with it. The problem is there's going to be a season or a time when that season is no longer the season. And the relationship is going to change. Whether it's going to dissolve, or it's going to be restructured, or it's going to become guarded, or it's going to become aloof. Whatever's going to happen, if we live in a selfish relationship, eventually it's going to erode and it's going to crumble. We're gonna jump over to the book of James just for a second. James chapter four, verse one through three says this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Which leads us to our first fill in the blank for this morning. It is this number one, selfishness is the source of conflict. I wanna tear this apart a little bit more, right? When James starts writing, he says this, what causes quarrels and fights among you? And we all wanna hit pause right there and we wanna put a name, right? We all wanna say, I'll tell you who starts quarrels and fights in my life, right? But that's not the problem. That's why you can trade in one relationship that's causing you problems and find a completely different person and still have conflict. It wasn't about them. It's about what was inside of you. As James says in verse one, what what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? That's the fleshly side, and that's why I love what it says in verse two. He goes on to say, you want something, but you don't get it, right? You want your way, but you don't get it, and here's the extent to which people will go. It says, you kill, which doesn't always mean physically, but it could, You kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have, and this usually never occurs to people, you do not have because you have not asked God. You desire to get it, right? And you're not getting it from them. And since you're not getting it from them, now we have a problem, right? I want something you're not providing. Now we're going to war. Now, it hasn't even occurred to you yet to pray, but you're just wanting it because you're living out of your flesh and your meistic worldly ideas. Verse three, he goes on to say, And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. The last word there, pleasures, translated in the King James, is lusts, right? It's the Greek word. Hedone, I probably said it wrong, Dr. Gino, but that's okay. It is the root word from where we derive the modern philosophic idea of hedonism, right? The hedonism being the the ethical theory that my pleasure or my sense of satisfaction or fulfilling my desires is the highest good and the proper aim of human life. Not very Christian, is it? (laughs) And James is saying here that In our life, we have some natural desires. Some of them are from God, but some of them are from our sinful nature. And the problem is when we begin to put our things or our desires ahead of our relationships, we get the equation all wrong. Here's the equation. God has given us things to enjoy and people to love. Now, when we turn it upside down and when we start to choose to use people to get things, we're doing it wrong. Is everybody tracking with me? Things to enjoy, people to love, but we're never to use people to get what we want. So when we get these desires to have or to feel or for pleasure, and when those desires, good or bad, go unfulfilled, there begins to be conflict, right? Built into every relationship is a pre-equipped mechanism for conflict. Does everybody know what it is? It's called unrealistic expectations, right? Think about it. Not any of you guys, but some people, when they get married, they walk into their marriage relationship with certain ideas about how things are gonna happen, I've sat with people going through marital stuff before and they tell me this laundry list of how things are supposed to go and I just sit back and I kind of smirk just a little bit because it's unrealistic. You know, the couple who was doing my wife Liz and my premarital counseling in the class we were going through sat us down at the end of our course and said this to us. We're worried that you two are looking at marriage and your relationship and your future together with rose-colored glasses. Meaning, we loved God and we loved each other and we knew that no matter what happened, everything was gonna be okay. But we kind of said that too much. And so they were worried. They're like, Dan and Liz were worried that you're gonna get burned and bummed out by the reality of unmet expectations. So Peter, when writing to the chosen elect, the royal priesthood of believers and to us, Peter wanted to see them and us do our relationships God's way. And in your outline, you'll see 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 gives us insight. It says this, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Truth number two in your outline for this morning in our time together is this, unselfishness is the secret to change. We must remember here that, you know, Christianity was brand new. Peter was speaking to new converts who probably had chosen to follow God before their spouse, before any of their family, before their friends or their neighbors had made that decision. He's saying to that spouse, here's what your spouse doesn't need. They don't need you to come home after church and give them a two-page summary of what Pastor Dan said this morning. Right? And they don't need to be guilt tripped that they didn't come to church with you, even though that's where they should have been. Right? They don't need that. No, it says, wives, in the same way, be submissive. And remember, our definition of that is having the courage to give up my rights in order to meet the other person's needs. And so he's writing to them saying, you right? Be submissive so that they might be won over without words by the behavior of your wives. Or for all of us, when we look at all of our relationships, that they might be won over by the relationship and by our conduct as Christians. In other words, actions speak louder than words, right? In every relationship that we wanna change, Sometimes we think that if we push, if we nag, if we argue, it'll get through to them, right? So let's just take a poll, right? How many of you believe that that's how change actually happens? Not many of us, right? It might happen for a moment, right? How, how many people have been nagged in submission? The answer is some for a while, right? Maybe for a season, that nagging makes you do the thing that they want you to do, but then after a while, it ends, And you don't do it. In fact, I would bet that if you look back over your life, the people that had the biggest impact, the biggest positive impact in your life over the long term would be categorized as someone who in word, in character, and in deed was unselfish. Peter says the secret sauce to change is living an unselfish life. And then he goes on in verse 7 to say this Do this so that nothing will stop your prayers. Truth number three of our outline in our time together this morning is this selfishness short circuits your prayer life. How's your prayer life doing, church? It's a season that we really need to be praying. And it's one thing that we don't usually connect the dots to that our earthly relationship can affect our effectiveness in our prayer life you think well pastor Dan isn't it between me and God yes but your earthly relationships can affect your effectiveness in prayer and the reason why is this it is when I'm leading a you know a meistic type of life and I'm all focused on myself self-centered relying on me I don't pray as well because prayer When you strip away all the theology and all the messages that could be taught on prayer, prayer in a nutshell is this. It is saying, God, I can't, but Lord, I believe that you can, right? Think about it. When someone finally comes to the end of their rope, maybe you get a a negative medical diagnosis and you've sought the, the opinions of all the experts and you've tried everything and you just have nothing left to do they look up and they say, right, I guess all I can do now is pray. Translation, I can't, you can. So when we're living a selfish life, basically saying to God, you know, I'm gonna do it on my own. I'm gonna do it my way. I'm the provider. I'm the man. God looks at us and he says, okay, go for it. Let me know how that goes, Dan, and God's a gentleman, so he's willing to, to step back and let us bang our head against the wall until we're a bloody mess, and then we come back to them him in humility and let him lead. So, here's the question for our time together this morning. How can I be unselfish? I don't know. Anybody got ideas? All right, 1 Peter 3, 7 shine some light on it for us it says this husbands in the same way be considerate understanding is this consider others needs this is your next fill in the blank under can I be unselfish the Greek here means to live together according to knowledge and it's not just being kind right this does not say consider isn't I'm kind to my friend, or I'm kind to my wife, consider it is, I understand, and in this case, your spouse, but it works in all of our relationships. Here's what I'd say. If, if you're married, or thinking about getting married, or ever want to be married in the future, you need to have a PhD in understanding your wife, or your husband, right? I'm working on my master's in theology, but I already have a PhD in Elizabethology, right? It's a special course. And she has a PhD in mine, and that's definitely an advanced graduate degree. But the reason why this is, is if you don't understand them, how are you going to know what their needs are? Philippians four five says it this way, let everyone see that you are unselfish and consider it in some of the things that you do. No, right? In all of the things that you do. And I'm learning this lesson in how I raise my boys. I'm having to parent my two-year-old Benjamin, who just turned two on Wednesday, and I, I'm thinking it's gonna be, you know, the terrible twos different than I than I than I fathered my son Boaz when he was two. He was pretty easy. I'm having to learn to be considerate and not just, you know, do what I told you because I'm your dad, right? I have to understand the way his little brain works. And I'm sure I'll continue to learn. There's, there's a book on uh, how to deal and understand men. And the tagline of it is this, what makes them t- tick and what ticks them off. And you need to know the difference. It's funny, but like, the real difference starts with this skill called listening. Anybody really good at listening? No, not really, right? Because to to listen well, you have to be willing to work at it. And the truth is, church family, that unless you are like a professional counselor or you work in the mental health care field and have specific training, by nature, none of us are very good listeners because we've already agreed that today, by nature, we live in our own little world where we like to listen to what we want to listen to, and we, what you have to tell me is probably not what, what I want to hear, so we really have to be willing to work at it, not in a fleshly way, but as a spiritual thing that we have to be willing to work on in our lives. The second part of listening, right? B in your outline is this, let them tell it their way. Now think about this, we all know this, I'm gonna have a little fun, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say this, and I think you're all gonna agree with me, women communicate differently than men, right? Like this, if I run into someone at Home Depot that I haven't seen in 20 years, I go, hey, how's life? And they're like, good. And we fist bump and we keep walking. In that fist bump moment, a lot's been communicated. I got married. I have an awesome job. I have two wonderful kids. Life's awesome. Now, if two women meet in the aisle at Home Depot, I haven't seen each other in 20 years, they're closing the place down. They're gonna be like trying to sweep the aisles and restock. Ma'am, 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 you got we've been closed since, Men and women communicate differently. Women, usually from emotion. Men, usually from facts and statistics. And it's not wrong. It's just different. There's a book for marriage titled, Women Are Spaghetti and Men Are Waffles. And it just is perfect because it's true. (laughs) The way we think is different. Here's the problem. When 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 the problem arises, and my wife starts telling me about it, she just wants me to listen. But guys are fixers, and it's not because we don't care; it's because we care too much. And so I'm listening, and she's telling me this long story, and I've already solved it in my head. And I'm just waiting for her to take a breath. She's like, da 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 da. I'm like, can I get in there? Can I can I fix your problem? But the reality is, she just wants me to listen. There'll be a time for fixing it, but I'm already there, and she's not there yet. That's the difference. But we have to learn to let people tell it their way if we're going to be good listeners. Third one is this. You have to make eye contact while you listen. And I'm really bad at this one, too, because I am a little ADHD, and so When my wife's telling me this long story that I'm trying to listen to and not interrupt her to give her the answer to her problem, I get bored, not with listening, but with my eyes. So I'm still 100%, she has all of my attention, but I'm playing solitaire or something on my phone, and then she feels disrespected, and that's my fault, not hers. I and you and all of us need to work on listening, not just with our ears, but with our eyes. My, my five-year-old's horrible at it. I'll be talking to him, and he's like, I'm like, look at dad. And I try to start saying my sentence, and then he looks away. <laughs> I'm like, give me your eyes. Give me your eyes, right? The number one way to be unselfish is understanding. Is considering each other's needs. Number two in our outline is this, to have respect, to appreciate other people's value. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. I love how the Amplified Version writes this, so I'm going to read it for you. It says this, In the same way you married men, or like we talked about, this could be all of our relationships, you married men should live considerately with your wives with an intelligent recognition of the marriage relationship, honoring the woman as physically weaker, but realizing that you are joint heirs of the grace of God's unmerited favor of life in order that your prayers may not be hindered and cut off. Otherwise, you cannot pray effectively. When it's all stripped away, Respect is just saying, I value you. I value you. I'm willing to slow down. I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to not try to fix. I'm willing to give you the time it takes to have eye contact. Philippians 2.3 says it this way. When you do things, do not let selfishness or pride be your guide. Instead, be humble and give more honor to others than you do yourself. This is not walking around being like, I'm a loser, I'm a loser, I'm a loser, I'm the worst person on earth. It's making sure to acknowledge and appreciate others for who they are. Remember we talked about this when I was up here a couple weeks ago. People are valuable because of how much they are paid for and who owns them right? We're valuable because God paid the ultimate price for us and that we now belong to him. You have an incomparable value. So number one, is understanding. Number two is appreciating. And the third thing we can do to become more unselfish in your outline is this, to sacrifice, to act on another's behalf. 1 Peter 3.1 puts it this way, your godly lives will speak to them better than any words, right? Or 1 John 3.18, let us stop just saying that we love people. Let us really love them and show it by our actions. See, here's the hard question for us to dig through and think about. Are you willing to forego the small things each day for the relationship? You know, the marriage counselors also told my wife and I to live by this motto, would you rather be right or happy? Right? This is reality. Like, sometimes I choose being right, and then I'm not happy, <laughs> and I'm prideful about it. And that leads all the way down the, the path, Right? Are you willing to forego the small things in life each day in order to be able to have the ability to pour into the relationship? First Corinthians 13:5, when talking about love, tells us that love's not rude. Are you willing to not be rude? It's hard. Because when someone has a really dumb idea, I want to let them know. But I have to do it in a loving way, right? It says it's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Anybody struggle with that one? Right? My boys know how to push my buttons, right? And this. And it keeps no record of wrongs. We all have that person in our life that likes to bring up something we did when we were 12. Don't be that person. Right? Right? don't remind your wife or husband of that thing that happened because that's putting your pride in front of the relationship. So church, to be unselfish, you must, as we look at our passage one more time this morning, 1 Peter chapter three, verse six, you must do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. So let go of your fear. It's your last fill in the blank. So this is the warning. Our enemy Satan wants to use fear to lock you up. He wants to intimidate you saying, you know, what if? You know, if you help this person, if you meet their needs, they're just going to walk all over you. They're going to use you as a doormat. And in those moments, you must be willing to say I believe in God's principles. More than the fear that's screaming in my head right now. That if I'm obedient to scripture, that God's going to show up and make himself known in my relationship. Do you believe that? That, that louder than the fear, if we obey and if we honor God in our relationships, that he's gonna show up. I need to see some, yes, no. Some of our relationships, it's hard to believe that because we've been trying for a lot of years and we're frustrated. Can I just challenge you to keep being faithful? Just keep being faithful. There's so many stories of so many wonderful grandmas that were praying for their grandkid that went off the rails, right? And then in God's perfect timing, through a relationship with someone God brings them back. Keep trusting. Keep believing. Don't stop, right? First John 4.18 puts it this way. We need have no fear of someone who loves us perfectly. His perfect love for us eliminates all dread of what he might do. You'll see in your outline and on the screen a prayer for you to be taking with you this week And praying for someone in your life that you love. And it says this, Jesus, I pray that your attitude of unselfishness would be expressed in my relationship with blank. Thank you for your unselfish love for me. I accept your love for me and I pray that you would help me to learn to live your way in my relationships. I challenge you to take that this week and pray it. You already know who that person is. And if you don't have someone, you could be praying and put my name in there because I need it. So let's pray. Uh, God, Lord, we love you. Thank you for this time and this place. Lord, we know that your word never returns void. Jesus, thank you for being so unselfish in your love for us, that you would come and that you would die and that you would rise to pay the price of my sin and for the sin of the world. We are forever grateful. Lord, help us to live in light of that truth. Help us to reflect you in our unselfishness, in all that we say, and all that we think, Lord, in all that we do. In every relationship that we have, God, we We long to honor and glorify you. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you have never made that decision to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I would ask you to pray this with me right now. Lord Jesus, today I admit that I'm a sinner, that I've missed the mark. And Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, that you died on a cross for my sin and that you rose again. Lord, today I confess you to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for loving me. Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for making me a brand new creation in Christ. I love you.